everybody, we got the biggest game, the biggest game in the world, uh, at least the biggest game next week. And no, we'll say the biggest game in the world coming up here because it's Oregon versus Georgia. And I'm excited. I'm a little bit afraid. Uh, I'm excited that, uh, you know, they lost at least they lost some of their amazing defense to the draft. I mean, a good large chunk of it, but still afraid of how quickly they're I'm planning them to reload. I'll tell you that much. A huge game. Very excited for this one. Haven't felt this way since last season, Oregon versus Ohio State. Obviously, we're hoping for that magical ending, but um, I don't know. This could be a horror show here. To figure out who we're really facing here, we're going to do another roster review. This time, we were lucky enough to get Robert Reynolds of the DGD Podcast. You can find that at the DGD Podcast on Twitter. How you doing, Robert? Doing well, man. How about y'all? I'm doing real good, man. Uh, again, I mean, I'm just excited for football, and it's always be it's always good to be part of a a big football game like this. I mean, you know, you had your share of real big football games last year. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and then, uh, I mean, well, I mean, I guess I should just get right into it since it's an Oregon podcast. I mean, you just won your first national championship in 41 years. Uh, so well that you got 15 players selected in the draft. I just want to ask, how does it feel to win a national championship? Uh, I mean, j- just, just tell me how it feels. I mean, it feels good. Um, I know for like the first few weeks, I was still kind of feeling surreal. But if you're asking me after the after that first three weeks to a month, I was ready for this season and, and see if we can run it back. Oh, man, it sounds so nice. Um, also, we've got Hithliday of Addicted to Quack here. Uh, you can find him at Hithliday1, H-Y-T-H-L-O-D-A-Y number one on Twitter. Hithliday. Uh, what do you think about this Georgia roster? I mean, just right off the bat, is this the, is this the way you're supposed to be doing things? Uh, yes, actually that's, you know, (laughs) I, I, I construct roster databases of every team that Oregon plays, including the entire PAC 12 and like it, it allows you, and then I do it year over year. Right. And like, it allows you to see like how rosters like change and evolve and like how coaches manage rosters. Like, you know, let, lets you see like over time, like, Oh, they recruited that guy because they know that this other guy is going to be leaving and so forth and so on. And like, you know, it's funny to have done, you know, Georgia relatively late after I've done all of my PAC 12 previews, because it's like all the, the PAC 12 schools are like the see me after class kids. And then like, I get to Georgia and it's like the A student who's just sitting there with like, Oh, what a perfectly managed roster. Like everything is, you know, everybody's neatly replaced. Like there's a plan, you know, like this person is going to be with us three years and go to the NFL and they're going to be replaced by this person. And then his understudy is going to be this guy. And it's like, and you know, it's balanced across positions and it's like, yeah, I should have started with Georgia sort of teach the class. Like, this is how you're supposed to do it. <laughs> and then go to all the back to teams being like jesus guys like boy you were screwing this up like, yeah start with getting all the five stars it seems like a great plan i mean it's not just the recruiting although of course the recruiting is incredible you know like virtually every position is a, a four or five star but it's like the plan you know like like there's such a a nicely and neatly like laid out plan for guys 
you know, they recruit the appropriate number of dudes to the position so that, you know, the law of averages can knock out a couple of guys who who wash out like that, which inevitably happens. Um, and, you know, but the cream rises to the top and then you're not planning on having that guy for five years. You're you know, you're you're planning for his replacement like and then you, you know, repeat times you know, the, the 16 or however many you want to count at positions on the football field, like, oh man, just, I, I, I loved it. (laughs) And, and from the background of doing like, you know, PAC 12 teams. And then the one that we just talked to yesterday was BYU where it's like totally on the opposite end of the spectrum where it's like a bunch of two stars and walk-ons, but they like blow past the 85 scholarship cap because it's a bunch of walk-ons. It's like, we're going to have, you know, 16 different dudes playing defensive line. You're going to have to chart all of them. (laughs) It's such, oh my god it's, it's georgia is so on the opposite end of the spectrum it was such a treat i i gotta say i mean i mean that's the thing that kirby smart's been known for right he, it's nothing new to him roster management you know all the way looking back to his time at alabama right like you think of what he did you know managing that those defenses year after year after year you know the only thing different now is he's managing the entire roster right here at georgia you look at his recruiting it's one of those things where since he's been here, you know, he's he's been top five recruiting, right? And, and the SEC, you know, top five is where you need to, ha- you have to be. It's not where you want to be. It's where you need to be uh, from a survival, you know, from a survival standpoint. So he's, he's done an excellent job recruiting and it's transferring on the field, uh, obviously to the tune of a national title. And obviously with this season coming up, we'll see what happens there. But, you know, well, little machine. Well, and it's sustainable too. You know, it's not like, you know, a lot of teams that I study, I tend to think are sort of flash in the pans, like everything sort of aligned this one year when all your seniors came together and you finally got three tight ends who could pass the ball or catch the ball. And like, but it's not, you know, it's built to fall apart the next year. And like, that's not how I feel when I look at Georgia's roster. You know, I look at Georgia's roster, you know, I'm looking at a, you know, 11, 12 win team for the foreseeable future, you know, cause, cause it's a machine, you know, as you say. Um, and so, you know, like, you know, like, like we're talking about a little bit earlier, uh, you know, that there's a lot of media prognostication about Georgia, like, Oh, they've lost so much on defense. And I'm like, man, I don't, you don't count on that. You know, like there, it, it is well structured to, you know, replace losses, you know, in a pretty smooth way to the extent, to the point that you know we'll talk about georgia's potential record at the end but like you know it feels like this this would be shocking if they won fewer than 10 games right like that would shock you wouldn't it it would be, it would be an utter disaster and and all hell would break loose in athens basically <laughs> welcome to welcome to georgia standards Let's start out talking about the offense. Stetson Bennett uh, eventually won the job. It was actually kind of frustrating uh, listening to the commentators. I mostly have them muted. Be you know, spend the entire year being like, "Where's JT Daniels? Where's JT Daniels?" And I'm like, Stetson Bennett is clearly a superior quarterback. Like it, it's very clear from the charting. You know, in particular his explosive play rate, explosive pass rate. You know, is just incredible. You know, on my chart, you know, excluding garbage time, I have uh, you know more than twenty five percent of his when he releases the ball from his hand more than 25% of the time Georgia gains 15 plus yards which is like bonkers it's you know 20% is an excellent number 25 I've never seen before like you know I really felt like he was you know absolutely essential to Georgia's offensive success and I also feel like opposing defensive coordinators really underestimated him like I think they sort of looked at some tape and said this guy's got some limitations to his arm talent and I'm not worried that worried about that guy and they really paid for it what do you think about that theory well, I mean, I think, you know, you may honestly crazy to say this, but you may have been an outlier 
like even a lot of Georgia fans wanted Carson back when JT went down. You know, even for me I, at first, I, you know, at first I thought it was JT's team, right? I thought JT was going to be the one to get us there. Not saying that I doubted him, but it it was surprising to me, right? Uh, going into UAB game, which was game two, right? The Friday before you hear Stetson's the starter and you're like, mm-hmm. oh boy, let's see what happens, right? Next thing you know, you know, he goes off. You know, at that point, like, you're like, all right, I feel comfortable, but it's it's UAB. And he just kept doing it game after game after game and to the point where you're just like, I don't give a damn who it is. If, if he's going to ride it out like this, all right, let's go. Let's ride, as Russell Wilson would say. But um, and the crazy thing about it, a lot of people probably don't know uh, outside of Georgia. Listen, he since he got back from JUCO and, com- and came back to Georgia in the offseason during spring camps and fall camps, he never took never took reps last year, never did. Now you you know think about what you saw last year and pair that with a full off season with the ones it's it's going to be interesting. The other thing that was remarkable and again I feel like opposing defensive coordinators really underestimated him at their peril was um, in the rushing game. Uh, so one of the nice things about charting is that I can exclude like sacks and scrambles, you know, because those are really passing plays, right? So just talking about the rushing plays, Georgia had two of two different plays where the it was a designed quarterback run um one was the quarterback draw of course and the other was the you know the outside keep on the zone read and both of them i mean like virtually every time georgia executed that play it was like they were shocked that stetson bennett a could even run the ball in the first place like that is that allowed you know it was, it was kind of weird as a pac-12 fan to be you know because this is running quarterbacks are like pretty common in the pac-12 and like a lot of defensive had to adjust you know their personnel in order to to deal with that threat and i always felt like i was watching a lot of sec defenses who were just like hold on the quarterback is running the ball what's going on um and 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 then number two i think a lot of defenses were sort of shocked that like he's not a timid runner you know and he's not a slow runner either he's pretty fast and he is really you know willing to go into contact i think i saw him slide all of one time and uh yeah i really felt like he you know was a big part of you know georgia's rushing uh attack what do you think about that that theory that the defensive coordinators were like underestimating underestimating him in that sense. Oh, I mean, it's, it's, it's Georgia. Nobody really expects you to see a running quarterback, right? Yeah. Like a lot of people don't know Stetson like that. Like dude, dude's athletic. Just talk to Brent Cox. You know what I mean? Yeah. But no, I mean, to me, it's one of those things where dude's just a ball player, man, goes out there and just performs and, and wins. Right. Like, you know, obviously you got the Alabama game, but let's be honest outside of that, it's just, he's just winning games. So it's pretty simple to see that, like, he, he can do it. I don't even think that Alabama loss was on the offense. Like, I, you know, it looked a little, you know, weird, but like that that was totally, you know, the, the defense just couldn't contain uh, Bryce Young, you know, and then they, you know, adjusted for the national championship. Yeah, it was did a much for, better job. It, it was weird to me because the first time we played him in the SEC championship game, we couldn't get any pressure. Yeah, but, that was exactly it. You know, but then you start to look back at, you know, and I think between that, right, between the SEC championship game last year and the Orange Bowl, right, with Michigan, with that month, you you saw a transformation between that where the defense themselves had gotten into much better shape. Jordan Davis was gassed. There was there was that one play where he's just like standing up and not rushing. I'm just like, oh boy, <laughs> that's no good. Well, the, the thing was. You know, a lot of the time, right, we kind of knew Jordan Davis was somewhat situational, right? Like, let's be honest, he didn't even play near to half the snaps of the on yeah. the defense, but you didn't need him to, right? right? He was so dominant on first and second down, right? When you start going into tempo, that was the downfall for Jordan Davis because you couldn't substitute. 
Yeah, and people want to point to that one play. I get it. But at the same time, you're not looking around. You're not taking you're taking the context out of it, right? You know, I think he was probably playing 350 or 360 at the time, maybe. Yeah. You know, that's that's a lot, especially if you're going tempo, you, you know, no break, you know, typically when you're used to switching. So, like I said, between the SEC championship game loss, between that and Michigan, he do all the defense ran their asses off mm-hmm. and, and got into shape. And, and you saw it transfer you saw that transformation when they went out and played uh Michigan and and obviously uh, Alabama again in the championship game. Uh, let's put a hold on the the defense for now. I want to stick with the offense. So, like, the other thing that I wanted to ask you about uh, Stetson Bennett is, like, while I think that opposing defensive coordinators were very foolish to underestimate uh, what he was capable of doing, I do think that they were not wrong to look at his film and say there are some arm limitation talents here or arm talent limitations here. Like, for example, like he can't really make the far hat, you know, the far hash throw, you know, that that out route where you got to really zip it. Do you think I'm wrong about that? Or what do you think about his arm talent? I think this offseason, there's been a transformation. I think you're going to see him be able to make those throws better than in, in the past. I, I think so. Just coming out of, you know, some observations, the ball's coming out of his hand different, right? Yeah. There's more juice to it. You know, that's whether that be the you know weight room work or whatever. You sit there, you take that into context, that's going to translate. Uh, so I, I think you'll be able to see him make all the throws that he needs. It's not a question of getting down the field. We've seen him able to take those oh, throws. Yeah. Oh, no, he can definitely do that. I mean, that's definitely like opposing defensive coordinators found that one out real fast that that dude can rainbow the ball, you know, 50, 60 yards downfield. Like that was a huge part of Georgia's offense. But like what I'm talking about is like, for example, if they're on the left hash and they want, you know, the way that opposing defenses would align the, you know, the, their cornerback on, on the, you know, the Z receiver was like to, was to play that guy real soft because they knew that he couldn't like zip that ball to that guy to beat the cornerback. But what Georgia would do is they'd, they'd roll him out to the right you know there's just like if they're on the left hash it's something like 45 percent of their passing plays or roll out right you know so that he can you know then have a better angle in order to make that throw and like that's i mean i think that todd munkin is a, a really good offensive coordinator and adjustments like that you know are really good evidence for it whether or not sets bennett has like you know been able to improve his arm strength to be able to say okay todd you know you don't need to do that for me anymore like i I am interested to see it. Like if that's what, uh, if that's, if he's been able to do that, like that adds so much, you know, an extra dimension to his game. That'd be really interesting to see. Yeah. I think that you mentioned Todd Munkin. I think with how Todd Munkin coordinates, you're going to see him scheme to the benefit of the team. He'll, he knows what he's got. I think you look at what he can do, right. What Setson's abilities are and things like that. You're going to see him do things to put Setson in a successful position along, you know? So, yeah, we'll see if it's going to be any different. Yeah. The the offense has really evolved since Todd Munkin got here, right? But when in 2019 it was abysmal. You know, James Coley was not the guy mm. at all. You know, Todd Munkin coming in, and you slowly start to see the evolution, right, of the offense. It's every. I mean, and I guarantee you, both of you know this. What is Georgia perceived to be? Well. You know, that was the thing that I think a lot of defensive coordinators screwed this up because they they took the perception that George is a ground and pound offense, right, that Herschel Walker's still there. And it's it really wasn't. It was really sort of a spread power, you know, system with a lot of tight end focus and like defensive coordinators just like 
couldn't handle that, you know, like, or their like their, their expectations were so violated by like, they, they really couldn't figure out what was going on with the tight ends. Their Munkin does not display a lot of obvious tendencies for, you know, the way that the tight ends line up for what the play call is going to be, which that's another one that's very refreshing compared to studying Pac-12 offensive coordinators, which usually know how to do like one thing and are super predictable. That's the thing that I really, you know, appreciated about Munkin was that like, yeah, this guy like violates your expectations and it's, you know, to George's benefit. Our offense has evolved. And for me, looking at it, it's a breath of fresh air. You know, you still utilize the running backs. How how often before Todd Munkin did you really utilize a receiving running back? And, and it's, it's just it's just the small things like that, right? The the changes where you have running backs doing everything, right? And, and you look at just last season, you know, even though it felt like it was more niche-based with James Cook and, and Zeus. Mm-hmm. Both of those guys are doing very well already in the NFL. And I think you look at, you know, while while James Cook is more known for receiving, right, he's still capable of running between the tackles if he needs to. And last year, Zeus really surprised me and and he got better catching out of the backfield. And you're seeing that, you know, obviously in the preseason right now with the Raiders, you know, throwing him screens and getting him into space. Cause when he's in space, he's hard to bring down. We, we saw that utilizing what he had, right. Todd Munkin was right. You took last year you had, and still had Kenny McIntosh, the quarterback, right. you know, backup quarterback, if you really will and just utilizing guys and, and putting, like I said, putting the offense in successful positions. Let's keep talking about the running backs. So as you noted, uh, both uh, James Cook and Zamir White are uh, off to the NFL. Uh, the, those guys were getting, you know, the line share of the carries last year. But we but we saw quite a bit of Kenny McIntosh and Kendall Milton b- prior to garbage time. And then there's a third back uh, or fifth back, I guess I should say, uh, Dijon Edwards. Um, Dijon, yes, sir who like was almost exclusively garbage time. Like I, 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 I don't think I saw him get a single carry in what I would define as like meaningful play. That was the other thing about Georgia is they put their opponents into garbage time real fast. And uh, so like a good deal of the backups, you know, and folks who are, you're probably going to be getting a lot of play in 2022. Like I really didn't watch him much at all. Cause it was, you know, it was garbage time it was on for the next film. Let me ask you this question. Do you think there's any sort of controversy about what the running back order is going to be in 2022? Or is it as straightforward as, you know, McIntosh, Milton, and then Edwards. I think you see rotation, right? I think Georgia has been known to rotate and there, and nothing's going to change here. It's, it's a 1A, 1B, right? I think you look at, you know, Kenny and both Kenny, both Kenny and Kendall, you know, have that ability to do it all. G-Day was a perfect example. Kendall, Kendall's more known for running and being a bruiser, but at G-Day goes down the field and catches a 32-yard touchdown pass. Yeah. While being able to, you know, while being able to truck a defender in the process, so he can catch. Kenny McIntosh is, if you're not familiar with him, he can do it all. Like both of those guys can do it all. I'm really excited to see Dejan get more reps. Obviously, we have to look at incoming freshmen too, with Branson Robinson, Andrew Paul. Andrew Paul goes down with an ACL injury, so his season is technically yeah, done really pretty stinks. much. So you know, now you're looking at four scholarship running backs, right? Kirby loves having five. So you're going, you you know, honestly, you might see more rotation. You know, it, it could go that, or you see more of, you know, more usage out of Kendall and Kenny. But it's it's going to rotate. I don't see you're not going to see, you know, one back get eighty percent and then right like five 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 or whatever the case would be. You know, um, they're going to rotate in often too. That's the thing. You you have enough good elite running backs where you can sit there and rotate fresh legs. 
yeah, puts exactly. a lot of strain on the defense. You know, that's what I was talking about, you know, to start out with, like, how much I admire the roster management. Because, you know, last year it was Cook and White is 1A, 1B. And then still in meaningful play, you had McIntosh and Milton as, you know, 2A, 2B. And then you had, you know, garbage time you know, backs to, to, to shut the game down, you know, Edwards and, and, and a couple of the walk-ons and then like, okay, so cook and white go to the NFL. Well, you know, it's pretty, you know, clean to see everybody just gets promoted up a rank, right? Like McIntosh and Milton become one, a one B Edwards. And, and now probably Robinson come two a two B. Do you think that's, that's how it's going to go? I think you can see that. I think you'll see competition for that second tier leader, if you will. Mm-hmm. I love what Dejan brings. He's very patient to me. Uh, watching him run, he he can run between the tackles. He can run outside the tackles, but he's very patient with it. And, and I think you know, as a running back, you need that patience, right? It kind of. I'm not going to make a true comparison, but his patience kind of reminds me of Pittsburgh's Le'Veon Bell, right? When Le'Veon was at Pittsburgh, think about that. Yeah, I had to watch that guy when he was at Michigan State. Remember, Oregon played them back then. Now, the thing about what the reason why I compare that and make that comparison there is because you look at his patience. He sits there, and it's not like you know, like skip to the loo right behind the offensive line to to that extent. But he sits there, he waits for holes, right? It waits for the holes, and at the slightest time, he anticipates it and goes. Our spring game, he went off. He had two touchdowns, if I'm not mistaken, and it was just one of these things where he runs, you know, kind of an inside zone, but his patience and his vision allows him to bounce out and just almost walk in. You know, his vision, I think, will keep him on the field. Obviously, you're still going to be behind Kenny and Kendall, but you're going to see him get an increase in, in reps. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, and with Branson, I think, you know, the, the freshman acclimation, there's still, you know, there's still some acclimation there to especially pass pro, right? A lot of people forget the pass protection yeah, portion of a running back. Yeah. You know, you look at, you know, Dell McGee, Kirby Smart, they want to make sure that they can trust you in pass protection. He's going to get t- he's going to get reps with our schedule and everything. But he's going to have to make the most of it and show that he's willing to pass protect, you know. And when you do that, that will open you up for carries and, and receptions of the case, if that's the case. Uh, let's talk about the tight ends. Elite. Would, yeah, this, this unit scares the hell out of me. And the Brock Bowers was a true freshman. It was just like, oh, my God. I, I just sort of want to check. This is a little housekeeping. I just want to check in. Bowers and Washington weren't playing in the spring game. They were just being held out on a little minor injury stuff, right? Yeah, more precaution, if I'm not yeah. mistaken. And then the the other guy who I think was being held out too was uh, Gody, uh, Ryland. Yeah, Gody. sounds about right. Yeah. So instead, the guys that I were seeing playing with the ones, I was seeing uh, uh, Brett Scyther, mm-hmm. the the LSU transfer, Eric Gilbert. Mm-hmm. Bowers and Washington are coming back. Uh, Gody is coming back, although I don't think I saw him last year on the field. They're bringing in a, a true freshman, uh, Oscar Delp. I saw him a little bit uh, with the twos in the spring game. They are losing. They're losing one of the tight ends who got significant play last year. John Fitzpatrick, number eighty-six, got, dra- got drafted. Surprisingly, I, honestly, I was surprised when he got drafted, but I thought he's he a was really a great, good blocker. He, oh no, no, that he was that was his niche. He can still catch, so don't get that twisted. Yeah. But yeah, you know, I'm, I, listen, I got to take this shout out while I can. I got to take this shot. It's funny that Fitzpatrick gets drafted ahead of Widermeyer. 
if you think about it. Yeah, I never really figured out how, like, you know, don't ask me to to to, to figure out what NFL draft gurus are thinking. You know? <laughs> like, a lot of times I think those guys are just drawing names out of a hat. Uh, <laughs> but, like, I mean, I understood why he was going to wind up being an NFL player. You know, like, his blocking was, you know, absolutely elite. Uh, oh, it's I, great. I, it was great, yeah. Like, anybody who's just looking at the stat sheet and is like, oh, this guy only had six catches. He was, like, the third string, you know, tight end. He's not that important. I'm sort of like, no i actually think he was kind of important like here's why you don't look at stats jordan davis yeah man you know his his statistical production doesn't look phenomenal but like anybody who watches a game tell you like that guy transforms you know like he... you're you're a stats guy too so keep this in mind is it crazy to believe out of all the talent that this georgia team had last season robert bill led the team in sacks and is coming back <laughs> can you does that tell you what you need to know about stack like stats i, I actually think beal's interesting character but i want to talk about the defense later well yeah um so tight ends uh you know bowers and washington you know we saw plenty of them i actually washington was coming off of an injury at the beginning of the year right yes uh i i sort of like i felt like at the beginning of the year his blocking was a lot more tentative and like i you know i, I had actually a, like a negative rating for his blocking ability but then i think he sort of cleans it up by the end of the year and i think that was probably just him like getting healthier you know what i mean i think so yeah because darnell so darnell was also with taiki coming into the season where they weren't able to play i want to say the first like month or so because of a foot injury yeah. um so yeah it's one of these things where the tight end room got better because we got healthier i'm expecting listen i'm expecting darnell to have a crazy year this year well he's like undefendable like he's oh. six seven and just like there's a bunch of passes where it's like if he's two inches shorter, that's not a catch because you know the defender is all over him. But he's not, you know, he just reaches up and catches the ball and there's nothing you can do about it. It's like, damn, dude. I'll say this. The one the only way to stop Darnell is himself. And I think what what I mean by that is getting into shape, getting into the right physical shape, things like that. He, from what I, from what I've heard and what I've observed, it seems like he's in a good state of mind. He's in a, uh, he's in a good, he's in good physical condition too. And I think that's something that we, we aren't used to seeing so far. Listen, he, you know, you hear this notion that he's like a tackle, right? Like a, he, he could be a tackle and all this, but he wants to be a tight end. I mean, to some degree, I understand where that's coming from, but you know, if he puts his mind to it and says gets into really good shape, there's no reason why he can't have a breakout year. I think you see that because listen, with Brock Bowers, people are going to try to do everything they can to stop that man. So you've got to open, and that's going to open. That should, in theory, I should say, open up targets for other folks. And I think you see Darnell take advantage, Eric take advantage. Honestly, even Oscar Delp, you can see come in and, and rotate in and be. Might sound crazy, but I think you're going to see Delp be a better receiver than Bowers. So he's, he's that athletic and that much of a, he's that kind of guy Delp is. So last year they were doing a lot, you know, with three tight ends, like, you know, either all three on the field or, you know, they'd want to play 12 personnel and it'd sort of be a rotating through, you know, Bowers, Washington, Washington, Fitzpatrick, Fitzpatrick, Bowers, you know what I mean? With Fitzpatrick gone, you know, it seems pretty obvious to just slot Eric Gilbert in as the new third tight end in that rotation. Do you think that he has the same blocking ability that Fitzpatrick does? I think Fitz... That's tough. Fitzpatrick was really good at blocking. Yeah. Um, but if it, I, I think you can see it have some tendencies Yeah, to that same level. I don't know, but I think he'll still be above, above average and great blocker. 
All right, let's talk about the wide receivers. Looks like losing uh, Jermaine Burton, number seven, who is like, I think, technically the number one receiver, but only by a few yards. Losing George Pickens, who didn't actually have that many catches, but he was dealing with an ACL injury for most of the year. He didn't come on until late. And then when right. he was on the field, it was like, oh, that's why they were missing that guy. He's he's departed as well. Um, and then a couple of transfers out from, I think, backup guys, uh, Jalen Johnson and Justin Robinson. Mm-hmm. I think that's it in terms of departures. Did I miss anybody? I think if, if anything, I think that's fine. I think yeah. that's it. Bringing back number 84, Lad McConkie, um, mm-hmm. one of the rare three stars on the team, although I think he was, you know, number one or number two receiver. He's a little shorter of a guy. I mean, six foot tall is not that short. But, you know, he it was interesting because like he was initially playing a lot out of the slot and then they started moving him out, you know, when they sort of over the course of the year i noticed this offense like going to more 12 and 13 personnel stats as, as i think they sort of realized what an amazing combination of, of tight ends that they had mm-hmm. and they were like well mcconkey's an excellent receiver so let's just play him as the z receiver you know what i mean like yeah. i don't care that he's six foot tall this guy's good he's really fast you know he tends to burn people way more than you would expect from a mid three star you know i, I really feel like he's a big Severe, severely underrated i yeah. think you when you when you look at when you look at lab mcconkey and my opinion i think the evaluation process with coming through covid right this this is why obviously this covid situation it makes it extremely hard to 100 percent go off of the rankings because you know you you just mentioned lad but ad mitchell right ad mitchell you know basically was you know you couldn't go see right like coaches couldn't go out and see you right so what he was so fun story about ad Keep, he keeps sending workout videos, keep sending them over and over and over until the point where he got to a point where they was like, yeah, we need this guy. Right. And then boom, go and get AD. Next thing you know, AD Mitchell catches the go ahead touchdown in the championship game as a freshman. Yeah, it was crazy. He was a true freshman last year, right? Mm-hmm. Same with yeah. Lyle. Yeah. I think McConkie was recruited in the 2020 season, but like, I think so. Didn't count. Yeah. Um, so yeah, bringing back both McConkie and Mitchell um, who were, you know, let's just call them starters, you know, for lack of, you know, they were doing a lot of rotation. Um, but like, you know, those guys were top receivers. Um, and then here's the interesting thing. I was seeing a lot on the field of uh, Kira's Jackson and Marcus Rosemi Jack Saint, um, but they're primarily being used as blockers. You know, they, they weren't really catching the ball much with, you know, Burton Pickens gone. Do you think those guys like step up or do you think this offense is going to stick with the like, now let's really keep the offense running through the tight ends. What do you think? I think if you're looking from a receiver standpoint, I think it's kind of, to me, I think obviously AD is the guy and it's crazy sure. to say that, right? But AD is the guy outside. Right. And you'll probably put Lab McConkie outside as well. I mean, you'll rotate like, you know, the two deeps or whatever on the outside. When you come into, right, when you come into the slot or whatever, I think you see Kieris, right? Kieris is, you know, kind of been quiet, but I think it's a lot of it's due to injuries and different things like that. So, you know, this is the year that he needs to really make an impact. I think you see that, right? I think you also think of keeping around, right? Like, you know, a lot of people, like you said, Marcus Rosemary, Jack Saint, but don't forget about Don Blaylock, right? Hasn't I didn't played see much of him. What can you tell me about him? As a freshman, right? Him, so Dom and Pickens came out as freshmen. Would it? Would you be shocked if I told you that the more impactful freshman was Dom Blaylock? Uh, that would be shocking. In in 2019, you mean? Yeah. 
Yeah, I didn't watch a lot of George's 2019 film. Uh, Don Blaylock was the the dominant receiver of those two. Huh? There, there was. I mean, at the same time, right? I think you have that freshman inclination, but you saw. I mean, there was a his first touchdown catch was beautiful. It was against Auburn, and just took the top off the defense and ran right by him. And at that point, you're like, I, you know, my thoughts were like, all right, so now we got another deep threat if you need to. So obviously with him coming off an injury, Georgia's was in a situation last year where you didn't feel the need to be rushed, right? So they wanted to make sure everything was, you know, take your time. So you didn't really see him that much. You saw him slightly, if anything, you know, and that was kind of the same with Marcus Rosemey. But, you know, I expect them to be fully ready to go for the season this year. So like I said, when you've got Dom, you've got Marcus Rosemey coming back off of injury, Kiaris as well. The the options are abundant. You know, they're just a ton of them. And that's not even including guys like Denylon Morissette, Dylan Bell, right? These freshmen, Cole Spear, if you will. Like, yeah, do you think any of the freshmen are going to break in? I, I think you could see, if I had to make a choice, I think you could either see Denylon. I think Denylon will be good by the a good freshman season. I think Dylan Bell could see possibly too. Uh, it just depends on how Georgia wants to, you know, run personnel wise. Let's say that Georgia's in 11 personnel. Uh, it's third down. They got to have it. Who do you think the three wide receivers on the field are going to be? I think you look at, if, if you're running 11, I think you got AD and Lad McConkey, and then probably have Kiers. Yeah, that's what I'd guess too. I mean, I, really, I mean, the reason why I'm talking to you is like, I, I want to hear about wild cards. You know, I want to hear about like maybe somebody like Blaylock or, or you know, or maybe Arian Smith had a really phenomenal offseason. He could jump in. But it sounds like it, it sounds like what we saw in the spring game is, in your opinion, is what, you know, we're, we're primarily going to see, which is McConkey, Mitchell and Jackson. I would think so. Yeah. I mean, you're I mean, you're going to see guys. I mean, listen, you're going to see Arian Smith get on the field. Sure. I mean, CJ Smith as well. CJ Smith is another burner kind of similar to Arian. So we've, you know, one of the things that Georgia's got is you've got a lot of speed and really a diverse group of receivers, right? All kind of niches, right? You have big body receivers in AD Mitchell. You don't, don't sleep on Lama Conky speed. Trust me. Don't yeah, sleep no, on it. I really feel like a lot of DCs, you know, that's another mistake that I think a lot of DCs made when they were facing Georgia were just like, oh, who's this, you know, 185 pound three star. I don't need to worry about him. And then suddenly he's behind the defense for a 60 yard catch. You know, like, yeah, that's why. All right. Let's talk about the, the offensive line. There were some injuries on the line. There was a little bit of rotation. So I'm, I'm going to need some, some help walking me through this. I think by the end of the year, their starting five were uh, Jamari uh, Salyer at the left tackle, mm-hmm. Justin Schaffer at left guard, uh, Cedric Van Pran at center, Warren Erickson at uh, right guard, and Warren McClendon at right tackle. Correct. But I saw some rotation. I saw some of uh, Broderick Jones, number 59, playing at left tackle. I think Salyer was out for a couple of games. If he needed, yeah, if sometimes, like, Yes, because you had, I mean, you had a lot more rotation than what I expect to see this season. Mm-hmm. But yeah, toward the end of the season, you you kind of saw Broderick take over the tackle and, and moved Schaefer, or not Schaefer, but moved Sawyer into left guard and yeah, moved that was really Schaefer weird. to right guard. In the- in the national champ or, or one of the games against Georgia, I forget which, the like, yeah, in the middle of the second quarter, they brought Jones back, even though Salyer was available again, they brought Jones in to play left tackle and Salyer was playing right guard, which was mm-hmm. like, that was really weird. It's not, it's not weird when you, if, I mean, I get it, but Sawyer is, you know, Sawyer in the NFL right now and, and he's a guard. He, yeah. he was projected to be a guard, but he had the versatility to side out while, because Broderick was kind of new to it. So it was very fortunate. 
right? I, I think it was very fortunate that, you know, you had Sawyer there to, to hold it down because he was just super experienced as well. You're not going to move Warren McClendon from right tackle because he's there's no reason to. He's holding it down. Yeah. That right side, that right tackle spot is holding it down. When Tate Rattledge went down, you know, it kind of threw things into Which a was loop. real early. That, that, one that was really second. Sucked. That was second play of the Clemson yeah. game. Yeah, no, that one really sucked. He's officially the starter because he played like the first snap and that was like, that was it. He literally started and that's it. Yeah. And, and then, I, yeah, we didn't see him for the rest of the season. Then I didn't see him in the spring game. Is he still hurt? He is now. He he's on track to play. Um, okay. He was going through that recovery process. Um, Do you think he's going to win his job back? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. It was, it was actually, okay, so uh, in, in terms of figuring out, well, there's a couple other backups that I want to mention. There's number 73, Xavier Truss. I saw him playing right guard. It looked like he replaced Warren Erickson for a, a few games and during a couple of other games, like in the middle of the game. It, it sort of looked like that might have been performance related. It sort of looked like the offensive line coach was like, let's see what, what Truss can do instead. Do you I'm think trying, I'm to, trying to get? No, I think you're right. I think last year, obviously, when, when, when Tate went down, it really threw a loop into things. And... You have McClendon, right? You had no Clendon there. Erickson could, you know, in my opinion, probably would fit better at center, you know, but you wanted to get, right, Cedric situated, understand things, right? Because as a center, you know, you have to make sure that you call the off, you know, sure. read the defense and, and uh, obviously alignment protections and things like that. So, you know, obviously Erickson playing, you know, filled in for the most part, but I felt like Erickson was kind of a liability against Clemson, right? And you kind of saw that, like, you saw the, the potential for ability to switch around and see what you got, right? I think last season was a perfect example why, you know, you you make new rotating fives, right? You Especially in the offseason, right? And, and that's transferred over to this offseason. For instance, right, in the offensive line, you're aware, you know how this goes. Chemistry is everything almost. Yeah. Which one gels the best, right? Which starting five gels the best for which, what positions, things like that. I, I think you see that, but I think you're, I think you're set moving into the season though, with that being said. Well, let's see if we can figure it out. So Salier, number 69 and Schaffer, number 54, the, the left tackle left guard are, have both departed, but I think everybody else comes back or at least everybody who played. Mm-hmm. I figured that Van Pran is set for uh, center again. Absolutely. Playing in the Absolutely. Game. Yeah. I think that, uh, you know, Jones, because he has so much experience at left tackle and because he was playing that position in the spring game, probably has the left tackle position locked down. I figure that Warren McClendon has the right tackle, you know, position locked down. And then it's just a matter of like sorting out who the guards are. And that, you know, that's what I was asking you about, you know, Tate Ratledge, um, Xavier Trust. Like, I, you know, I wonder whether or not Warren Erickson is like the third man on the totem pole, you know, for two spots. What do you think about that? No, I think you're kind of right there. You know, my prediction for, starting five when we roll out is, you know, from left to right. I think you look at Broderick Jones at left tackle. I think you look at a guy named Devin Willett, redshirt sophomore. Yeah, number 77. I saw him mm-hmm. playing with the ones uh, right guard in the spring game. I think you'll see him take – I feel like the guard's more variable here because it depends on where they put Tate. I think Tate's got this uh, a guard spot, mm-hmm. uh, you know, whether they want to put him at left guard or right guard. But I think you see – Devin Willick played left guard to start. Really? I think so. I think you can see him on the right side. Like I said, I think it's almost interchangeable, but I think they'll be the starters, Tate and Devin Willick. Then you got, obviously, Cedric Van Pran, right? In my opinion, probably the best center in the country. We'll see, though, right? But he had a great season last year, and I'm expecting it to get even better. Uh, and then, obviously, like I said, either either Devin or Tate at the other right guard spot, and then, you know, McClendon at 
right tackle. And then there's Xavier Trust. Well, it, you know, at any rate, I, you know, I think we're pretty certain about the center and the two tackles. And, you know, there's four guys to play two guard spots, Ratledge, Erickson, Truss, and Willock. And like, how are they going to screw that up? You got you got four good options to play two spots, and and the other two guys are your sixth and seventh man. Like, you know, this isn't you know, regardless of how they solve the problem, they've got good solutions, you know, no matter what. And then and then beyond that, you know, for for the like the twos in the spring game, I was seeing I was seeing a freshman, Ernest Green. Mm-hmm. Um, I, was see- <laughs> <laughs> I was seeing uh, Micah Morris, uh, who I think is a redshirt freshman. Mm-hmm. Jared Wilson at center, another redshirt freshman. Um, uh, let's see. I was seeing Dylan Fairchild, another redshirt freshman at right guard. I was seeing uh, Austin Blasky, Blasky yep. um, who's well. He came in in 2020. I think he's technically a redshirt freshman, but whatever. Yeah. Like you know, it's a it was a young group of twos, but like you know, everybody that I just mentioned, I think is either you know a four star or a high three star. You know, like like I was talking about earlier, it's like this nice conveyor belt. You know, like I I think you know what you know this line's going to look like. You know, not just in 2022, but in 2023 and 2024 as well. Like you know, it's a it's a nice it's a nice developmental cycle um you know they they seem like they're set on for their sixth and seventh man regardless of who that's going to be i guess i do have a question like what do you what do you think the tackle backup situation is like like if if something happens to mcclendon or jones what do you think happens well i think first you'll probably look at amarius mims okay it wouldn't surprise me if you see Ernest green if you need to I just even as a freshman, I think he'll be. He's just super athletic, and he's had a great off season. I think you could also see if you needed to, right? I think you could look at a, maybe a Dylan Fairchild. I think he's more suited for guard, but he's super athletic, wrestling background, things like that. I think you could see him if you needed to slide out to tackle. But obviously, I think you want to make sure that you know you're, you're too deep. I think you're looking at Ernest Green and Amarius Mims. I don't think I saw Mims playing last year i don't think i have any film on him did i miss something i mean he was just i think it was just a situation of the offense i think he was just yeah. understanding you know under getting a, getting a grasp for it, it you you'll know he, he's had a great offseason t- uh attempted to do the portal right entered it and then went back to georgia mm-hmm. to the disdain of florida state it's just one of those things where i feel i feel like you could see him play guard like he's super athletic think about it the evan nil situation evan nil started out at guard moved out to tackle and drafted top 10 kind of situation. I think you can see that with Mims, but I think he's, to me, I think he just wants to play tackle. At that point, you know, are you are you really going to take, you know, take out McClendon when McClendon's doing an excellent job, right, playing at a high level in the, you know, all SEC type right tackle? You know, you could you could question Broderick, but I think you look at Broderick and Broderick's held his Broderick own very well. skinny to me. Like, do, do you think I'm weird for thinking that? It's just his body. Uh, yeah. He's... He's still right around where you want him to be weight wise, but super athletic. Both him and Mims are just freaks to be that size. So here was something that was interesting that came out of my tally sheet. And I was wondering if you sort of felt the same way. I, I feel like there was a real discrepancy between pass blocking and run blocking for this offensive line. In terms of pass blocking, I think this is one of the best offensive lines I've ever seen. Like, uh, you know, the way that I graded out, like every one of these guys is coming in at, at about a 90% grade, you know, meaning, you know, only making a mistake on about one out of 10 plays or so. Um, in fact, a couple of guys, uh, uh, Van Pran is is well below that or, or you know, he's like 92 and a half. Um, like it was really good grade pass blocking. And like, I think that's reflected, you know, this team hardly gave up any sacks, you know, like Bennett was usually had all the time in the world, you know, to throw the ball. I'll stop there. Do you agree? It was a very good pass blocking offensive line. 
I 100% agree. I think, you know, you look at Stetson, right? Stetson had his ability to to scramble and make plays, right? And let's be honest, there were situations where last year, Stetson being in the game saved a sack in theory, right? Because yeah, yeah. JT JT would have would have took a sack there. Yep, 100% and, and, and Stetson Bennett can, you know, roll out and make plays. And he did it a lot. You know, for, you know, for me, I think you look at, you know, the lack of hits on sets and the lack of sacks, you know, that's one thing. But then you really, if you really deep dive, you do have some, you still have some room to work, right? I think you have to look at that because, you know, sh- should you expect Stetson to have to keep rolling out like that? So I think there's room for growth. Now, obviously, we were ex- exploring a lot of options last season. So I'd like to think that in that regard, from a pass protection standpoint, getting the right five, right, and staying healthy is the ultimate goal. We'll we'll fix those problems. On the other hand, I wasn't I wasn't really thrilled with these guys in run blocking. You know, I, I'm recording more like eighty uh, percent um, success rates. And in fact, well, Erickson, who we talked about, is sort of you know got got thrown in the fire there. Erickson's down at seventy five percent in terms of run blocking. Uh, it's one of the reasons why I think you know I let off talking about what Stetson Bennett contributed to the designed run game is because you know both of those types of plays, the the quarterback draw and the outside zone where you keep, are ones where he's you know th- th- that's not the offensive line opening up big holes. You know, like I, in fact, in a lot of ways i felt like the the greatness of cook and white as running backs was sort of like hit hit a little bit because like the offensive line wasn't in my opinion really doing a consistent job of, of open up holes from with the exception of 69 uh uh salier uh he grades out pretty well in the rush blocking for me what do you think about that do you think that there's some room for improvement uh in the run blocking compared to the pass blocking i i think so i think a lot of in my opinion what caused those numbers to fall a little bit last year was the injury to Tate Ratlish. Just going into that season, you know, seeing the offseason work that he had put in and hit with him expected to start. Tate's a Tate's an animal. He's an animal. There's no other way to put it. So when he went down, and you, like I said, you put in someone with experience, right? And that's Erickson. Like I said, like I said, we saw some vulnerabilities against Clemson last in that game. Sure. And I think that's why you saw the rotation of putting trust in and, and all these situations, right? Finding out who's going to fit in and, where, you know, get in where you fit in, basically. But then if you if you noticed, we also did a lot of passing using the running backs to counterbalance the run game. Yeah. So while we were trying to get the offensive line squared away, there's a lot of times where you saw James Cook running wide down the field all, all, with a linebacker and just cooking them, you know? Pun intended. Yeah, that was definitely like a DC mistake, the way that they would cover the running backs in the passing game. It was like, and it would happen over and over again. It was just like, guys, watch your film. Like, well, that's also a testament. That's, just a, that's also a testament to James Cook. Dude's a nightmare in the pass yeah. game. No, so. he's, I mean, his numbers reflected. Like, yeah, no, I, I really, uh, it was really, I mean, like, I have the benefit of hindsight, right? You know, like, so, yeah, I've been, I've been dumping on all these defensive coordinators, but like, I get to know that this was a national championship. Oh, no team. doubt, right? Like, it's always, it's always, you always write in hindsight for the most yeah, part. Yeah. Right. But like, yeah, it really felt like I was watching a lot of mistakes and that I would put that one pretty high up there on the list of DC mistakes. It's just like, oh, this guy's just a running back. He's no threat. And, you know, or False. Like this wheel route is not a concern. Or I, like I can split this. They split him out as the Z receiver. I can put a linebacker on him to run down the sideline. It's just like, no, <laughs> no. You're wondering how we got here. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Let's switch over and talk about the defense. Oh, what everybody's ready to hear. Yeah, right. 
uh, well, all right, let's rip the Band-Aid off. It's a lot of departures on the defensive line. You know, the three guys that I... I, I would say that it, during, gar, or excuse me, meaningful play before garbage time, there it was basically a six-man rotation and their three down front, which is, you know, what you want to see. And the three guys that I would call the starters, Jordan Davis, uh, Trayvon Walker, Devontae Wyatt, uh, all three of those guys have departed. They're bringing back the three guys that I would say, you know, would be the next three, Jalen Carter, Tramel Walter, and uh, Zion Logue. Um, they're also bringing back guys who, who are getting some... some some other backup time, Nazir Stackhouse, uh, Warren Brinson, Bill Norton, Tyron Ingram Dawkins. And uh, and then during the spring game, I was seeing a little bit of a true freshman, Michael Williams. Um, have I got all that right? Yeah. Animal. God, Amari. <laughs> we'll Which talk more about that, I'm sure. Michael. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So you, we've we've mentioned a few times Jordan Davis just oh my god I mean like at his size the way that he would move like I don't I you know like I, my human physiology class in high school did not prepare me for that like humans shouldn't be able to do stuff like that they don't he's not a, he's he was built in a lab same with Trayvon. Oh, it was crazy. Uh, yeah, I feel like people aren't talking enough about Trayvon Walker either, because like, you know, that's the thing I just obviously I studied this defense quite a bit, not just because of this game, but because, you know, Dan Lanning is Oregon's coach now. You know, the thing that was remarkable is how flexible it is in terms of like, yes, it's a three down one OLB um, defense most of the time. But like Trayvon Walker was such a, a a freak in terms of like that dude is built like a defensive end who can you know put his fist down and you know stack up the tackle and really do run contain but he can also stand up and run just like an outside linebacker into coverage um you'd run laterally to defend screens like as much of like an athletic freak that jordan davis was in a particular way i really feel like trayvon walker was an athletic freak in a in a different way and that like versatility was okay. really really beneficial to jordan let, let me let me freak you out i'm gonna freak every single one of y'all listening yeah. but it surprise any one of y'all listening at 300 pounds as a true freshman he was on kickoff return wow <laughs> he covered tank bigsby out of the backfield down the field and had a pass breakup as a true freshman yeah i mean just I mean, just nuts. And the versatility was just crazy. And then Devontae Wyatt, number 95, you know, like, let's not forget about this guy. Like, you know, excellent as a four eye, like, and built for it. And like the way that Georgia plays their front, like, it's not like they're not like slavishly devoted to the four eye, zero, four eye thing. Like, they will stem and shift and like, you know, bring guys over. So, like, there's a lot of plays in which Wyatt is basically playing zero or one and he's big enough in order to do it. Like, still 315 pounds. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, that's another, you know, like, like you've got a four eye who 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 can credibly play nose tackle like dude shift over four techs like that's you know I, I really just that's versatility right yeah like the, the versatility of this line is really astonishing and here's where i think sort of the i know that you're probably sick of hearing it uh, <laughs> uh i'm sure that everybody in georgia is i, I love jalen carter who's coming back i you know that that guy's phenomenal that guy's a freak too but like I'm not seeing the same sort of like versatility that Walker and Wyatt and Davis had, you know, in Walter and Logue and Stackhouse and some of the, you know, these other guys. I'm seeing guys who are very good defensive linemen at the things that they do, but not like all the other things that, you know, we just spent all this time talking about the that the, 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 the starters were doing last year. Do you think I'm off base? What do you think? Jalen Carter was the best defensive player on that on that defensive line and he didn't start. Uh, Yeah, I'll buy that. <laughs> the reason why I say that is. When when you and listen, obviously it's 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 hard to it's crazy to think, right? Because if he was that good, he would start. But when you've got the the defensive schemes, and and trust me, it's obviously been on the Oregon show here. You'll you'll very quickly understand 
the defensive mindset of Dan Lanning. I promise you that. But when you have Jordan Davis, it's it's insane, right? But doing the three down, running like you know, running our defense. Just imagine sitting there and, and playing right Jordan Davis and things like that. And then oh yeah, Jordan Davis comes off, and you got Jalen Carter. Jalen Carter is six three, three ten, and would not surprise me. And he's not going to be your true nose, right? Like I yeah. think you look at a guy like Zion Logue is going to fit that right. role. Try to yeah, replicate that's what he was some of that in the spring game. Yeah, exactly. But when you take Jalen Carter on that right side, he is going to cause headaches for everybody. He's just too good. It's it's kind of imagine imagine Will Anderson on the defensive line. <laughs> like I'm not comparing to some. Obviously, don't compare him, right? But kind of get that get that mentality. He he's almost unblockable. He I know it's Vanderbilt. But he lit this. He lit the hell out of oh, his yeah. running back. Oh my god! He- well, and the other thing is that it's not really. I mean, it's not quite fair to call him a backup. Like he was in on a comparable number. It was. It was. It was probably more accurate to say that even though it's a three down front, that it was like a four man rotation. Oh no! In yeah, that it, front, we rotated and, a ton. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. It, well, it, I guess I would put it like. It's a it's a one A one B one C one D and Jalen Carter's the one D and so like he's not being like promoted to starter he was basically playing a starter number of minutes oh that you know, was last year yeah, that's fair to say my question is more about like well okay so Walter I didn't see him in the spring game I think he was being held out um, mm-hmm. with like something minor you know I you know but I've got. Yeah, I've got a lot of film on Walter and Logue because they were playing during meaningful time. And I've got a little bit of time on uh, Stackhouse, who's 78, and Brinson, who's 97. I saw Bill Norton playing during the spring game. I think that he was basically filling in for Tramel Walter. Yeah, that's about right. And, like, I, I don't know, man, like, set Jalen Carter aside for a second. I, I don't think I was seeing the same thing out of Walter and Logue and Stackhouse uh, as I was seeing out of, you know, Walker and Wyatt and Davis. Do you think I- I'm... Do you think I'm no, wrong about that? No, you're not wrong. I think you have to look at what, right? Look at what those guys were able to do. Those are just freak athletes, right? Like yeah. I said, Jay, if, if you're not familiar with Jordan Davis by now, just go look at his 40 time in the NFL combine. And if you've already looked at that and you need some tape, go to the UAB game, go to Georgia versus UAB and watch him run down the running quarterback from the far side of the field. That's all you that's all you need to know just how much of a freak athlete Jordan Davis was. But even then, right? I think you look like I said, I, I made a couple keynotes here about Trayvon Walker. Trayvon Walker could do it all, right? It was a matter of setting the edge. It was a matter of pass rush. It was a matter of even having the ability to drop back in coverage to give your linebackers or DBs some flexibility. Yeah, they didn't even work in the cut in my article in which because Georgia loves to do this where they, they, you know, they line up and they, they're looking like they're rushing, you know, traditional. Oh, the, the sky's blitzes. Then, yeah. Yeah. And then they, you know, they, they drop out the OLB and the DE. And there's this great clip. I, I, I think it's in the Georgia tech game where it's Walker drops out, Smith drops out and like Walker tips the ball to Smith. Like it's a volleyball that, play. That was, that was Florida. The cocktail that party. That was Florida. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, it was, yeah. I remember it was later. later that was beautiful. Uh, yeah, or just like, yeah, th- this is an interception that is conducted by a defensive end and an OLB. You know, n- how many times have you ever seen an interception in which no defensive backs were involved at all? <laughs> you know, I mean, the th- th- crazy thing, and I'm sure we're going to talk about this. There was a pick six by Nicobe Dean, right? Mm. In that same game, my man was out there out wide playing DB essentially and picked it from that spot on the outside the hashes and ran it for six. 
All right, let's talk about the outside linebackers. So uh, the, I was basically, first of all, structurally, what I was seeing was that uh, when the opposing offense had one or fewer tight ends, they were playing one OLB uh, on standard downs. And then when the uh, the offense brought out two tight ends, they were switching to, a, you know, a two OLBs. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the, the guy that I was seeing on virtually every snap was Nolan Smith, um, number four. He's coming back. In my opinion, he's George's best returning defensive player. I would actually rate him higher than Jalen Carter. I think he's more like I think this dude's like excellent pass rusher. Excellent. I think yeah, I mean we'll talk more about that, but yeah, excellent. He's an excellent pass rusher. The thing that's crazy about him is he's 235, but he hits like he weighs like 40 pounds more than that. Mm-hmm. Like I was watching that dude stack up tackles where I'm where like that dude the dude that you're really stacking violent. up has like 90 pounds on you and you are driving him backwards. Like this is crazy. Extremely violent. I, he, um, he might be so Nolan Smith, right? I think you're looking at what, like a, maybe a six two, six three type guy, right? Yeah. Which t- it causes crazy, but it's kind of small for what George is trying to sure. recruit now. I mean, he doesn't hit like he's small. I mean, hell it's like, no, hell it's like no. watching Spider Man. It's like watching you know something out of a comic where you're like, you it's know, like watching a train hit a brick house. It's just it, it, it just yeah. crumbles. Like you right, can that, do that. That's enough. <laughs> that's enough. About yeah. it. Uh, <laughs> the other two guys that I was seeing were Robert Beal. We mentioned him um, mm-hmm. before. Um, I think he was injured during spring. I didn't see him. I think um, they held him out. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, but he's he's back, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then the the other guy that I was seeing was um, number nineteen, Adam Anderson. I understand he's off the team. He no, he yeah, he is off the team, some, dealing with some stuff. But yeah, he's yeah, man. so. I mean, you have to basically find a way. I mean, that was even last season though, too. Yeah, what it's just you, one of those situations. Who, the the guy who I was seeing in the spring game, op, you know, with the ones uh, along with Nolan Smith was Chaz Chambliss. Do you think that's the the third guy? I think he could. I, listen, I I really. I really enjoy seeing Chaz. A lot of people don't pay that much attention, but I think one, he's really fast for what it, you know what I mean? I feel like he's underratedly fast, but if you're, if you're curious, go back to the Michigan game and watch that hit on the running back. I think it was quorum. I think it was watch that hit. They, they called it for targeting, but let's be honest. I, if you go back and watch it, I think there's a debate that shows that it might not be targeting in my opinion. Mm. He's definitely a violent hit, and he's definitely absolutely, absolutely. All right, the inside linebackers. Even though this was, you know, basically a two ILB uh, show, I was seeing three guys prior to garbage time. Although on a lot of sort of situational downs, they would put all three ILBs in, which was interesting to see. And these guys are like comfortable playing up on the line too. You know, they're not just always back in 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 coverage. Or sometimes they play up on the line. That's one of the Sims. You know, and he drops out. Those are always you know. Boy, it was a real treat. I got to say, it was a real treat watching this defense. Anyway, the uh, uh, the the three guys who were in, I believe all three of those guys are departing now. Nakobe Dean, uh, Channing Tindall, and Quay Walker. Right. Mm-hmm. I gotta say. I in non garbage time, I don't think I saw a single snap out of any of the the backups. So you got to tell me like, you know, I figure just by looking at at snap count, it's Dumas, Johnson, Mondin and Marshall. But what do you think? Well, I, I think to to your point, right, I think you look at last season, right? Nicobe Dean really never left the field, right? You, I mean, you did see rotation in from Channing and Quay, obviously situational, I think. But at the same time, you know, Small Mondin did get some playing time. Uh, Xavier Sori got some playing time. Pop Johnson uh, as well. You know, looking into the season, right? And obviously, listen, from a Georgia perspective and mine, 
there's no question that the linebacker situation is the hardest one to fill because you lost all of your linebackers, all your starters, like true starters. Yeah. To me, though, I think if you look at what we're going to have here, I think you look at a guy, Pop Johnson will probably hold it down in the middle, like the true Mike. You're talking about number 10, right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, Jamon. We just call his his nickname's Pop, but yeah, okay. Uh, it's easier. It's easier to see either JDJ or Pop. Either way, I, I think you I see think him of all these the guys as their jersey numbers. That's what a nerd uh, I am. Yeah. Like, nah. Names are oh, what are names, man? Like yeah. Uh, but yeah, I think you'll see Munden as well. I think you could see Tresman Marshall. Yeah, but at the same time, it wouldn't surprise me to see an abundance of guys. Honestly, do you think in the opener there's sort of it's going to still be tryouts? Yes. I think so. I think you'll try to see the line, the middle, the Mike linebacker situated first, right? Because there's so much key responsibility right. there. Uh, outside of that, though, you know, you'll probably see a lot of rotating and just kind of finding. And, and obviously, the Oregon game is a perfect time to. I wouldn't say perfect time, but it's a. It's well, you got to do it sometime. Showcase. You might as well do it in the opener. You well, know? Yeah, no doubt. I mean, you're going to have to, right? Because you're yeah. you're going to have to make these adjustments moving forward. So there's really no, you know, it's not like like we play. It's not we we play in week one. We don't play in week three. Nothing like that, you know. So you don't have that time ahead of time. You just got to figure it out on the fly. It's kind of what we did with Clemson, but a little bit different situation, right? But no, I think you'll see a bunch of guys rotate in. You know, and it might surprise me. It wouldn't surprise me, I should say, to see guys like Sori, Mondin, Pop, Chesma Marshall, Ryan Davis, if, if you know, if things go there. Uh, Jalen Walker. Ryan, I'm sorry to interrupt. I think Are Ryan you? Davis was injured for the spring game. I didn't see He him. was held out, yeah. He was yeah. held out as well. I, I was seeing a little bit of Jalen Walker, the true freshman. Kids, uh, kids got it. I didn't see in the spring game, at least I don't think, CJ Washington, the other true freshman. No, he was no, correct. I think he was a, I think he may be, if I'm not mistaken, I don't have it in front of me, but I think he might be a late enrollee, like an ori- a traditional enrollee, you know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, he I mean he had a jersey number, but like, I don't I don't know if that necessarily means that. Yeah. And then I think the other guy that they recruited, uh EJ Lightsley, he, I think yeah. he was a gunshot victim or I Cor- think I correct. Yeah, you're right. He, can you give me a status update on that guy? It was really scary to read that. Yeah, no, it was it was it was nerve wracking to hear about it. You never want to hear stuff like that, but um, things seem to be uh, he he uh, recovered and things like that. And I would expect him to be ready for um, for the games this season. Now, I don't know. Uh, in regard I'm, to, I mean, like th- throw a parade for him if he comes back from a gunshot and plays football. Like, <laughs> I mean, oh my god, right? It's definitely unfortunate, but it's an odd situation. You don't really expect it to happen until it does, you know. So. Mm-hmm. Hearing about that, you know, you kind of glad that he's at Georgia now, right? Where he's, and I hate, I don't want to like say that it's getting away from home environments can honestly do you some good, you know. Mm-hmm. So at times, right? So I think now that he's in, you know, now he's under the watch, you know, on the team and everything like that. I think it's something where obviously you recover, you get ready. Now you got football to focus on and just roll from there. Hey, listen, before we go any further, I want to talk about the coaching staff changes. Mm-hmm. A couple of changes on offense. You, you, you actually, from on the wide receiver side, swapped a coach uh, with Oregon, Brian McClendon, um, who was really good for for Oregon for the the time that he was there. I think that's a good pickup for you guys. And then Stacy Searles came in from North Carolina to take over the offensive line from Matt Luke. I don't really, you know, see any real issues there. But on the defense, uh, Lanning was co- was both the defensive coordinator and the outside linebackers coach. Um, he's being replaced at OLB with uh, Chidera Uzo Deribe, who I actually remember him playing at Colorado. I'm old enough to remember mm-hmm. that. And then they, it looks like they replaced the DBs coach uh, uh, Jamil Adai um, with two different guys. Uh, Fran Brown from Rutgers is coaching the the cornerbacks, and Will Muschamp, mm-hmm. uh, secret agent Will. 
Ole Miss champ, destroying <laughs> SEC East rivals for you, is come back in from the cold, and he's coaching the defensive backs, and he was named, along with the longtime ILBs coach, Glenn Schumann, he was named co-defensive coordinator. Mm-hmm. They have been really quiet and I like actually kind of terse with reporters of, you know, when people are asking like, well, is Schumann or Muschamp calling the plays? Um, do you got a theory about that? I mean, my theory is you probably see it. It's a collection, right? It, it was the same thing that when Dan Lanning was here, right? Dan Lanning had the, the defensive coordinator title, but he was actually a co-DC too with Schumann, if I'm not oh, yeah. mistaken. So, and obviously, and Kirby's a defensive-minded guy, right? So obviously, with with, with Muschamp coming back as an analyst, listen, yeah, obviously, you know, and, and I'm going to bring this name up because I had to, right? Where Scott Cochran, right, as a, as a on-field special teams coordinator, when when he leaves for his personal issues and things like that, right, steps away from the team. It's not coincidental. Muschamp slides right into that special teams. Hey, get down on the field. Uh, come help us look at what's on the defense. Listen, excellent defensive coordinator, right? He's we've saw that before. Uh, head coach wise, that's another story. But mm. when when you have all those heads together on the defense and seeing what they see, there's no reason to believe that you change that mentality. You, you run in. Kirby's going to have his hands on the defense, but at the same time, he gives it up enough to, like I say, at this point now, right? You've got Muschamp and uh, Glenn Schumann. Uh, and then obviously you'll probably still pick around and, and get some other heads in there too. And that formula works, but you, you got to give the title to somebody. And let's be honest, pay-wise, code DC, things like that adds money to for retention. Sure. Well, the other thing is that Schumann is, I think, 31 years old mm-hmm. and Will Muschamp is 51 years old. And like, yeah. if my boss was 20 years younger than me, I'd kill myself. <laughs> you know, Like, I, I kind of think there's some face saving going on there. You know what I mean? I, I see what you're saying. I think when you look at it, like I said, it is retention because with Muschamp's situation coming from South Carolina, getting fired, getting that buyout and things like that, he came here very cheap because he was still, I mean, technically didn't need the money, right? You're getting paid all that money oh, yeah, from he South sit Carolina. On island for the rest of his life. Yeah, and he's and if I'm not mistaken, he still might be getting paid from Florida buyout. Mm. So like the money wasn't the thing. He came back and you know, like I said, brought him as an analyst and really, you know, like Kirby and Muschamp go way back. Okay, so you're just getting another def- great. I mean, an excellent defensive mind to to really do what you had to do. So now that you have him as co DC, you know, obviously you get more responsibility, means more pay and things like that. My theory of the retention process, right? You want to put him on code DC with with Mush uh, Mushamp and Schumann. If if I'm Kirby Smart and I'm Georgia, I'm doing everything in my power to keep uh, Glenn Schumann. We ex- as a Georgia yeah, he fan, like I, a rising star. Like oh, he, he like is. Because he's I, been, I mean, he's been with Kirby for this this entire time, right? Yeah. Yep. In my opinion, and listen, I have nothing but respect for Dan Lanning, and you know, ever since he got hired at Oregon. I, I knew he was going to do just fine. I felt like Oregon's a good spot for him. But even before that, like we kind of had a feel that Dan Landing was going to go. He just didn't get the right job opportunity last year. I think mm. he got offered the Kansas job. Who wants the Kansas yeah. job? Yeah, right? exactly. That's a career death trap. Yeah, Les Miles, Les Miles showed <laughs> you that. But yeah, so he didn't get the right thing, and he, he waited and patiently waited for that matter. And then next thing you know, you see him gone. We're like, okay, kind of knew it was coming. I don't. I mean, I, I know we'll be fine ultimately, but I don't want to see Schumann gone. I, I think Schumann is very important, very important. But you you have to prepare for these things because you, when when you're at a program and the, the situation that George is in, right? 
you have to prepare for this turnover every year. So it's, it's unfortunate that you have to watch some really great guys coming in, but at the same time, if you're a program like Georgia and you're a marquee name, guess what? Marquee names will come calling for those open vacancies. So you just have to do the right thing there. Let me ask you a question. I know this question is going to be a little bit fraught. It's just, you know, a weird thing that happens when the DC of last year's team becomes the coach of the opponent in the opener. So it's like, I know it's sort of like cross purposes for you, but like, mm-hmm. all right, let's set this aside. I feel like whenever the camera would cut to Dan Lanning on the sideline, he wasn't like patiently stroking his beard and doing what Kirby Smart was telling him to. Like he was that dude looked like he was calling the defense and that he was making, you know, affirmative decisions about, you know, whether we're going to blitz or not, or it's going to be a sim or who's coming and, and doing what. I feel like that guy was like really actively calling the defense and was essential to its success. What do you think? I, I think you're right. I mean, like I said, I, ultimately, I think it's a, co- a combination of multiple guys, but at the same time, it, he was the DC, so I would expect him to do that. It's, it's funny. It's funny how kind of different these guys are. But if you watch Kirby coach, man, I know he's a head coach compared to a DC, but watching Kirby get his, you know, is animated, right? It's just it's so fun to see. <laughs> yeah, no, it's fun because he listen. Kirby brings the juice when he's coaching, man. And it, I don't know how many hot mics we've. Heard. I don't yeah, know how right. many hot mics he, I've heard. He got caught a couple of times. Yeah. Uh, it's easy to do. Yeah. I mean, like the camera comes up to him or the hot mic actually catches him saying something. You know what I mean? So like Kirby's very vocal, very animated, right? And that's just how he coaches. But Dan Landing, you know, he seems more, he's very, he can get animated at times, but he, he, he knows what the hell he's doing ultimately. You know what I mean? All right, let's get back to talking to some of these players. Uh, the the secondary. I, I'm hoping you can walk me through this. So during meaningful play, again, excluding garbage time, I was seeing eight different defensive backs. At uh, nickel, I was seeing a rotation of Latavius Brainy and William Poole. Brainy, you talking about last year? Yeah, last year. Okay, yeah. At uh, the other defensive back positions, I think I was really only seeing three guys, even though, you know, there's two spots and I was sort of expecting four men to be rotating. I was seeing Lewis Seen, number 16. I was seeing Chris Smith, number 29. I was seeing Dan Jackson, like the old man, uh, number 47. And then I don't think I saw a fourth guy. Was I... Did I miss something there or was it really just those three dudes? I think it was. I mean, you looked at trying to look at Tyke, um, but Tyke was kind of more of a star guy. So I don't know if that's mm-hmm. he, he, he was like classified as a safety, but I, I think we moved him to the star. So that may have been the fourth name, perhaps. You're talking about number 23, the, the guy yes, who transferred correct. In from, from West Virginia. Yep. I don't think I saw him in the spring game. Was he being held out? He, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Put a pin in that. Cause I want to talk about the, uh, the cornerbacks first. Um, so here's the other weird thing about the cornerbacks. I was seeing number 11, Darian Kendrick play virtually every snap. I don't think he took a snap off or at least, you know, prior to garbage time anyway. Mm-hmm. And then the other cornerback position, it looked like it started with number nine, Amir speed, but then like, uh, you know, four or five games into the season, he was getting replaced by the true freshman Keely Ringo. And then Ringo basically finished out the year as the starter. And then I think Speed has transferred out of the program. Do I have all that right? Yeah, Speed did transfer out. Brainy okay. transferred out. Right. And and Scene has departed and Kendrick has departed, right? Yeah, both of them got drafted. Okay. So, you know, returning four guys who were playing, you know, extensively last year, William Poole, 31, Chris Smith, Dan Jackson, and Keely Ringo, right? Mm-hmm. So in the spring game, again, with, with Tyke Smith, you know, being held out, what I was seeing surprised me a little bit. Uh, you know, Keely Ringo and Dan Jackson obviously still had their spots, although I think Dan Jackson has changed his jersey number from 47 to 17, right? I think so. 
It, that threw me for a second until yeah. I realized, oh, it's the same guy. <laughs> Dan Jackson's a, a, a walk-on, right? Like, he was, a, he was unrated out of high school. Yeah, yeah, he's a walk-on. Yeah. yeah. I was seeing Christopher Smith, you know, number 29, is, is sort of I expected to. But what surprised me was that it looked like the way that they they saw Kendrick's departure is they moved pool over to be an outside corner number 31 and it looked like they brought in a couple of guys that i didn't really see, i hadn't really seen before at number 22 javon bullard and uh number 14 david daniel sisvana mm-hmm. uh, do i have that right yeah both of those guys yeah do you think that that's is that the starting rotation that we're looking at then or is Tyke smith gonna come in what do you think uh from a cornerback standpoint i think obviously the, the giveaway here you're looking at Ringo being sure. CB1. CB2 spot is really interesting. It's been a good competition, but I think what we're seeing is you'll probably hear a name, uh, Kamari Lassiter. Oh, I didn't um, see him in the spring game either. Kamari, I think he may have been held out for the game. Right? Okay. Uh, and, and if you're curious why we see so many holdouts, it's all precautionary a lot of the times, whether oh, they're sure. coming back from injury or whatnot, right? Like, oh, there's yeah, no yeah. reason to re-injure something. So Every, every team does that. It's just, yeah, yeah. I, I got to ask because, like, oh, oh, yeah, some, no, I got you. sometimes, you know, one out of ten times I ask, and I'm like, oh, no, that guy's off the team. And so, you know. Yeah. But, no, I mean, so Kamari Lassiter's really stepped up. Uh, you look at you know, you got Nylon Green as well. Um, I think you could honestly see some rotation out there on the CB2, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. It wouldn't surprise me if you see a guy like Dalen Everett, true freshman, has been making waves as well. Yeah, I saw him playing with the twos, number six, right? Yeah, I think you could see him a little bit. But I think ultimately, if I had to make a call on the start, I think it's going to be probably Kamari Lasseter. And we'll listen, like I said, I think you'll see some rotation, but I think it'll be interesting to see how that CB2 spot rolls out. Are you saying then that you think that Poole, him playing cornerback in, in the um, spring game is just temporary and he's going back to playing safety? I think you could see him maybe even play in the, in the star. Okay. Battle for the star or the cornerback. Kirby likes to rotate those guys mm-hmm. between if you if you have the ability to. So, you know, and with the star being the, one of the most important positions in the secondary, right, he's going to want that guy there to be you know, super experienced and versatile. So I think you could see, you know, I think you see Poole battle with maybe a Javon Bullard, perhaps maybe for that star. So, like I said, the cornerback two in the star position, you so and then you can't forget about Tyke either. So there's just a couple battles that you might see yeah. rotation or whatever the case may be, just to see what guys look like. Yeah, it's interesting. I, you know, I, I guess we're just gonna have to to wait until the third, you know, to find out that question. There, I mean, there's obviously a couple options, and everybody here is like super talented. Mm-hmm. It's just interesting because, like, you know, it it felt like at least prior to garbage time, like they were not really doing a ton of rotation. Like they were very sort of happy, you know, playing. Or, or what I was seeing was like there's a number one and there's a number two, and you know, that's it. We're not we're not getting down to the third string until garbage time. Well, I think a lot of that too was with Keely, especially with Keely when he took over roughly for the uh the second spot he was so young that he kind of needed that experience to get tested so yeah he like uh, you know uh, he was a true freshman and true freshman corners get burned like nobody should read too much into that like um i really think that the the future is super bright with that guy but like you know he was a true freshman he got (laughs) you know there were definitely some plays where or just like oh boy uh you know but like i i think i understand why he wound up you know taking speed's job you know like his his ceiling is just well just hell of a lot higher yeah i mean not knocking the kid but yeah ringo ringo was a freak athlete coming out of high school and yeah, I think oregon and georgia were in something of a recruiting battle for mm-hmm. the guy, as yeah. i recall yeah and then there was a one sort of I, I think this is a feel-good story coming out of the spring game which is a, a walk-on was actually playing quite a bit with the twos jalen kennedy mm-hmm. 
and then he i think he got an offer you know or or he transferred out yeah yeah, he transferred out and i i think he's got a scholarship now Mm -hmm. it's sort of i forgot where but yeah i think he did yeah uh, well it's division one someplace but but basically like yeah he played so well in the spring game that he got a you know got a scholarship so it's like (laughs) way to go you know but it it does sort of mean like one a little you know experienced guy you know fewer though not like george is lacking for him and the freshman class is just you know you, you mentioned everett but they also you know malachi starks is basically a five star i saw him playing with the twos uh jacory thomas uh is a four star i saw him playing with the twos like i think marcus washington or or has arrived for fall camp right uh it just clicked on me jalen kennedy uh committed to tulsa tulsa that's right yeah so like it's such a talented group that the the walk-on got a scholarship out of it like that's how good this you know this dv room is it's just you know we'll, we'll have to pay attention to see like how they resolve that you know pool bullard lassiter you know situation you know because like like i said they were basically playing eight guys and they you know four of them are no longer on the team yeah so they bring back four but they still you know who the the fifth dude is and and how the backup situation goes like i guess we'll find out you know but but you know that that's what happens when you're sort of on this sort of like this this talent conveyor belt that george is on it's like okay next guy up because we're going to be losing you know substantial number of players to the nfl every season (laughs) you know that's just what happens or they recruit a bunch of five stars and you know the the couple of them that don't work out you know hit the transfer portal it's just like that it's the nature of the game and you got to be able to handle it and like this staff does a very good job of handling it robert it's been awesome talking to you uh once again that's the dgd podcast which for those of us in the know we already know this that stands for damn good dog it's a real georgia thing i definitely asked what it stood for (laughs) before we hit record but robert i I guess i just wanted to end this asking you do you think you're gonna repeat do you think you're gonna your dog's gonna do it again? the 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 true fanatic within me says yes but thinking with my brain and looking at statistics and history i think you see us get to the playoffs but i don't feel a repeat happening it's just it it's insanely hard to do that does not mean that i do not want to repeat for the record i would love to see a back-to-back title do not get that wrong i would have to say you know just get into the playoffs and going from there right but I'm not expecting, I won't be disappointed if we don't repeat. How about that? I mean, it's a pretty manageable schedule, right? I mean, like, you know, a lot of teams in the SEC East are going through some things right now. You know, Florida's going through some stuff. SEC got better, strangely enough. Like, I think the West got better. I don't know about the East, man. I I would say so. I, I think the reason why I say that is this. When when you look around, you you know I, I think you have to look at Kentucky. I think Kentucky is interesting. I don't know whether to believe if they you know take number two spot again or do they go and fall back. I don't really know. I know they lost Chris Rodriguez for the first few games. You know, listen, Florida with Billy Napier is already in a better spot than Dan Mullen. I promise you that. <laughs> well, um, no, it, I mean, just, that's not a high bar to clear, mother. <laughs> Well, th- that's the thing, right? I think you look at what Dan Mullen was negligent with. Billy's having to play cleanup. And, and do I expect it to happen in one year? No. But I think you see the the strides being made there to really force the point to, hey, watch out. South Carolina, Shane Beamer, Beamer ball is a big thing. Uh, you know, listen, seven and five first year, right? Beat North Carolina in the Duke's Mayo Bowl. You, you have to take that with, right, some context there and understand, like, that was an ex- that was an exceptional first year for for Shane Beamer. So with obviously and they get Stogner and Spencer Rattler, what is that going to look like? So I think you know just by default getting Spencer Rattler, and obviously we know what happened to uh, Oklahoma. Yeah, you still got better though, like compared to what their quarterback situation was last year, they got significantly better. 
the crossover uh, then, game though, like the the at Mississippi State in November, Mike Leach, the Cowbells. You talk about for like, Georgia right now, right? Yeah, I'm sweating that a little bit. Yeah, sweat. Yeah, you do not want to play Mike Leach in November at, on the road with like title implications on the line. Well, like, it's, it's it's I don't think people genuinely understand. Like, when you have to really look at this in a deeper mentality here, and the reason why I say that is this: on paper. Georgia will blow them out by 60 points, but, but we do not play games on paper. We play them on the field. Anything can happen with that man and Mississippi state. Dude, what are you telling Oregon fans that for man? Like, no, no, I'm just, I'm just to, saying we had to go to every year. Like, Oh man. But, I mean, well, yeah, yeah. I was going to say he, but Washington state and Mississippi state, I'm going to, I'm going to assume are different situations because y'all, you know, listen, y'all played at Washington state or whatever the case was. But y'all didn't have to worry about going to damn here cowbells for for four quarters. So uh, look, oh, I, I no, would love yeah. I would love to see you spend a weekend in Pullman uh, and you forgot your sweater, like uh, <laughs> in November. Well, I probably <laughs> freeze to death. Yeah, exactly. Like it is you. not a pleasant place. It's like and there's and there's no humidity. It's like for, like it's that dry uh, cold that like gets in your bones. Unless you got the fireball, yeah, that right. Really? Why helped. do you think they're all drunks? What yeah. is life without humidity? Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Yeah, man, you gotta you gotta you gotta make the Rose Bowl and come out west. Yeah, you know, at some point you can see how the the other half lives. The DGD excursion. Well, yeah. luckily uh, living in that weather has made it so you should be good playing that road game week one uh, against us. Well, you know, going all the way down. Well, the thing is, well, the good thing is the bins is domed. So I mean, yeah. You know, and listen, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna make a statement here. This neutral site crap, man. I get sick and tired of this. Like, <laughs> I'm, I'm just saying. Yeah. Like, I am not a fan of neutral site games. I feel like you're taking away the pageantry of a, a college campus. It's just one of those things where, like, you know, maybe it's a get off my lawn moment. But like, <laughs> I just want home and homes, man. I really do. Like, even for the cocktail party, like, I just want that stuff. I agree. Well, I disagree about the cocktail Absolutely. party. I think that's hilarious. I mean, I've I've never been, but that's like on my bucket list. Like, I, I think it, I, for me, I kind of think recruiting wise. But I mean, I, I, listen, if I could go to if I could go to Athens and watch Georgia play the Gators at nighttime in in between the hedges, oh my goodness! But I get I get I understand. <laughs> it's just I don't know. I'm I'm getting digging down the rabbit hole, so I'm gonna stop. <laughs> well, once again, uh, so we got uh, Hithloday from Addicted to Quack. Uh, you can find him at Hithloday1, H-Y-T-H-L-O-D-A-Y, the number one uh, over Addicted to Quack. We also got Robert Reynolds of the DGD Podcast, at the DGD Podcast. And uh, who knows, with all this realignment stuff going, maybe maybe we'll be in the same conference, Robert. Call it we'll crazy, but that'd be wild. I'd like it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, we're going to go play in the SEC. We're going to go to SEC conference matchup in Eugene, Oregon. What? <laughs> yeah, I mean, say, hey, I, I feel like a lot knows? of SEC fan bases would enjoy a trip to the West Coast in the middle of September. Georgia travels, like, man. You know how that fighting goes. Fighting the swamp ass and they, you know, go surfing. Like, we, go, we go from down swamp ass to freezing cold. Like, yeah, right. Frostbite, basically. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, it's been a lot of fun. Um, we're looking forward to the game. And uh, hey, go ducks and go dogs. Go dogs. All right, quack, quack. See y'all next week.